0: Welcome back to the Global Enquirer. Last week we stepped away from our more global perspective to examine race relations in Charlottesville. And this week we're going to come back to that, that global perspective where we analyze case studies that help explain global trends. Today we're going to look at Chinese expansion into Africa and take a look at a case study of a railway line that connects Addis Ababa to Djibouti in Eastern Africa. Today I'm sitting down with Derek Wong a econ and math major, and a researcher here at the Global Enquirer, N.K. Gospayar, a foreign affairs and Russian major. So I wanna start with you, Derek. Can you tell me a little bit more about this case study of this rail line? Yeah, what we see now is a
1: huge Chinese investment in Africa, especially Eastern Africa. And in particular, the case study that we're looking at is this huge rail line that's being constructed from the coast of the Red Sea in Djibouti all the way to central Ethiopia, connecting the capital, Addis Ababa, all the way east to the coast of Djibouti. And so what what kind of costs are we talking here? How, how big is this project? We're talking a multi-billion dollar project. This rail line is estimated to, to cost $4 billion in total, um, and most of that money is being funded by Chinese lending. What really makes this unique then? I think what makes this unique is just the scale of the project. It's such a huge line that is going to cost so much money, and it's going to have a major impact on the economies of Ethiopia, Djibouti, and sort of East Africa in general. If you're a farmer in Ethiopia selling coffee beans or raising cattle and leather, instead of taking three days to ship your products to the port, from using um, trucks on the road it'll take a matter of 12 hours on a rail line straight from Ethiopia to the port in Djibouti.
0: Right, I mean it sounds like this rail line is, is really transformative in, and can be transformative in Africa's economic development. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm kind of curious, what I've read in, a lot about Chinese expansion into Africa is is very negative that they're expanding into regions like, uh, like Congo and Kenya and Ethiopia at, at rapid rates, sort of Turning a blind eye to to like conditional investment. Kay, can you can you talk about some of the perceptions that we have on on Chinese investment in Africa?
2: Right, but I think it's important for us to understand that you know China was in Africa's position just a few decades ago. And it's true, China has been investing heavily into Africa. And in our media, it sounds like, you know, China is taking over Africa. Like, Africa is the new China. And, like, that's just not true because the numbers really contradict those titles. Right. And,
0: and to learn a little bit more about these, these perceptions and, and sort of the broader global economic trends of Chinese investment, specifically in infrastructure in Africa, we sat down with David Dollar, a senior fellow at the Brookings John Thornton China Center who specializes in the global economy and development. You know, after reading a lot of your work, I, I thought it would be a great idea to interview you, um, especially with the really extensive piece on on China's engagement with, uh, with Africa. That was really long and really well done. So yeah, in, in that paper that you wrote, you said that Chinese direct investment into Africa remain relatively small compared to total foreign investment on the continent at approximately 3%. How has this changed in the past few years and and what does this sort of reflect in China's economic policy?
3: So China's share of the total foreign investment in Africa is increasing, but it's happening slowly. You know, I think some of the coverage of China and Africa suggests this, this huge, almost economic invasion and I think that's not accurate. It's gradually increasing, Uh, and it's also not just direct investment. A lot of the Chinese activity in Africa consists of lending for infrastructure projects. That's probably rising more rapidly as far as we can tell from the data. China's economic footprint in Africa is growing, but it is a gradual process.
0: Right. What industries are they particularly investing in or, or lending to, and for these like infrastructure projects or or FDI?
3: Right. So initially, uh, a lot of the Chinese direct investment was aimed at natural resources, you know, energy development, and metal mines like iron mine in DR Congo. Uh, but that's become more diversified over the last few years. You know, there is a big increase in Chinese lending for infrastructure. That's mostly going for transport like highways and seaports and also um, power generation and power transmission. And then beyond infrastructure, we're starting to see some Chinese investment in manufacturing, particularly in countries like Ethiopia. And so it seems that China's activity is becoming more diversified as it grows in Africa.
0: And, and so, why would why why is, why does China want to do this? Like, what what is their what is their incentive behind investing more in Africa?
3: Well, I think it, the primary incentive is to make money. Uh, you know, China has emerged as the second biggest economy in the world. It's a big trading nation, and it's a country with a high savings rate that's now facing a lot of excess capacity in its own domestic economy. So there are not as many good investment opportunities in China as there used to be. It's natural then for Chinese firms to go out and start looking for opportunities around the world. And as I said, initially, a lot of that was aimed at natural resources. China's a natural resource scarce country. But now I think it's Chinese firms looking for market. You know, they see Africa as a young continent with a large population and Africa has been growing pretty well for the last fifteen years. Uh, you know, last one or two years have been a, a bit more difficult, but basic trend in Africa is positive. I think a lot of Chinese firms see opportunity there.
0: Right, and, and I know I noticed in your in your pieces that you talk a little bit about how, whereas like a lot of Western countries, when they invest in Africa, they look at some of the democratic institutions that are necessary to invest. Whereas China might not. You know, require as strong institutions for investment. Can you can you tell me a little bit more about that?
3: Well, I think that the I think the Western investors are they're not necessarily paying attention to democracy, but they do pay attention to the quality of property rights and the rule of law. You know, that might have some correlation with democracy, but but not that strong, frankly.
0: Mm-hmm. So
3: the Western investment definitely tends to go to countries that have better economic governance. The Chinese investment, the Chinese lending seems more indiscriminate, to be frank. So you see China uh, in some countries that have pretty good economic governance. Ethiopia is a nice example. Uh, I would mention Kenya and South Africa. But then you also have a lot of Chinese activity in Angola, Cameroon, DR Congo, Nigeria, and you know in many of these countries have quite poor economic governance.
0: And one, one element of, of Chinese investment in these like, infrastructure projects that I've noticed is that they'll, they'll sometimes like, import Chinese migrants. W- what kind of effect does this have on investment and cooperation?
3: Yeah, it's a really interesting area. I mean, th- there's a lot of problems with the data there. There's some estimates of as many as a million Chinese workers who've moved to Africa wow. uh, over the last, say, 15 years. And there certainly are large numbers. I think it's a mixed blessing for Africa the workers definitely bring some skills and connection to global value chains and certainly have helped africa grow faster but africa needs to create a lot of jobs for its own people about half of the african population is below the age of 20. so china africa basically needs to create about 20 million jobs a year now it's quite similar to china back in the 1990s so that's kind of interesting china now you know, there's no net increase in the labor force in China because of population aging. Uh, you know, they're a country where the labor force has peaked and is going to start to decline. Africa is a young continent, mm-hmm. you know, so I think you know some skilled immigration is helpful for these African economies. But I encourage the countries to manage the process because they do have to create jobs for their own people.
0: Right, and then uh, I guess going along that, to me, it was really surprising to read that attitudes towards Chinese workers or Chinese investment in Africa is higher than any other like, Western country or any other country that's investing in Africa. Why, why is that the case?
3: Well, I think so far this Chinese engagement in Africa has mostly you know, it's generated benefits in terms of faster African growth uh, and poverty reduction in Africa. As I said, there's a little bit of tension around job creation, but mostly it's viewed as positive and if you look at opinion surveys, the African population is quite positive about China and about China's engagement. Africa is pretty positive about some of the Western countries too. But it, I think you know, I think it's interesting that you know countries don't want to have to choose between China and the U.S. They want to do business with both of them, be friends with both of them. You know, that seems to have a lot of sense.
0: And, and I guess going into different topic here. I want to talk about the One Belt One Road initiative. So how does their like foreign investment policy relate to the One Belt One Road initiative because I see like, you know, I see on the map you have this huge project connecting all parts of the eastern hemisphere. Can you just talk a little bit more about the relationship here between their investment and the One Belt One Road?
3: Yeah, so if you if you take that kind of one belt, one road project in a a narrow geographic sense, it it would seem to leave out most of Africa, you know, it's about, yeah, I mean, it's about rebuilding the kind of ancient Silk Road through Central Asia, and then this so-called maritime route, you know, connecting China through uh, Southeast Asia, past India, up to Europe. And so so you could argue, maybe a little bit of East Africa is part of that, but I don't actually think it's a real geographic project. I think it's a more general willingness on the part of Chinese to finance infrastructure throughout the developing world. President Xi Jinping recently said that Latin America is part of it. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty clear statement that it's not really geographically bound. And that's why we see a lot of this Chinese lending in Africa for infrastructure. It's in places like Nigeria, Cameroon, Angola, they're all on the west coast of Africa. So there's clearly not part of any geographic maritime route. Uh, so I don't think Africa is excluded. Um, you know, recently, China's been lending about $12 billion a year for African infrastructure. You know That's a very significant amount. And I think it's welcomed by African countries. I don't expect that to go down because of this Belt and Road Initiative. Do you think
0: – I mean, I've seen it- – in reading other, you know, writers talk about the Chinese investment in Africa, they're worried that this is sort of like a political move too. Can you can you talk about that? Like, what, do you think that uh, China is sort of trying to push themselves out geopolitically as well with these investment projects and lending?
3: So I th- I think parts of that Belt and Road definitely have a strategic component. So if, the. The, road, the route that goes from the western part of China down through Pakistan to the sea, you know, that's doesn't really make a lot of economic sense. Uh, probably that has a strategic motivation, and certainly made India nervous. So one reason India is not enthusiastic about this program is, you know, they worry about China's alliance with Pakistan and that being somehow against India. But I think most of it, most of the activity in Africa. You know, the infrastructure building, I I don't see it as having uh, any important strategic element. Uh, I visited some Chinese projects in Uganda earlier this year. You know, these seem like very sensible projects to build an expressway from the airport to the main city to improve the power supply, which is a big problem in Uganda and many African countries. If those projects work and you improve the infrastructure, then those economies are going to benefit they're going to trade more with the United States, they're going to trade more with Europe. So I would say there's indirect benefits for the whole global economy from these economic infrastructure projects. So I see it primarily as economic. You know, but as I mentioned, you can look at some specific pieces and say, well, that has a strategic component.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's a new developing sort of global trend of China and Africa.
3: Yeah, no, I think it's an important story.
0: So one of the major themes that that David talked about in in Chinese expansion into Africa was was purely economic. But given that all of these articles came out, and e- even though that you know the numbers might speak to the false perceptions, mm-hmm. it's sort of tough to avoid the the political component of Chinese infrastructure and investment in Africa. Okay, what what's your take? Like, is there really only an economic component here?
2: I guess to answer your question, we kind of have to look at, like, the history of um, China's rise in world economic power. Historically, Chinese foreign policy has been very pragmatic, Uh, and by that I mean, again, China was very poor just a few decades ago, so it really had to, like, tighten its belt and really focus inwards into China and how to make China great. And they've really done that by staying out of everyone else's business, right, and they just focused only on China, and that's really worked out well for them. They are the second largest economy in the world. Well, now they've really exhausted their opportunities within China. So it's pragmatic again to look for opportunities and profit and revenue outside of China. And uh, naturally for them, I guess it's like a very mutual beneficial relationship. China investing in Africa, China's creating profit for themselves, as well as Africa getting, you know, all these um, infrastructure projects from China who don't really impose conditional aid on their investments and lending and, and so on. And really, because like China has reached this powerhouse status, it kind of needs to, you know, focus on like the political aspect of its actions in foreign affairs relating to building its China, building its military base in Djibouti right next to a U.S. base. So that definitely has political implications within the global affairs.
1: Yeah. If we go back to last semester with our premiere episode on China's naval power and military expansion in the South China Sea, I think we can definitely see some parallels in how China's asserting its foreign policy and asserting a more global, outward-looking foreign policy, especially in developing areas of the globe. Mm -hmm. So even though in the South China Sea, we saw a more uh, militaristic component of that, in Africa, it's just sort of a more a more economic facet of uh, China's foreign policy. So we see China trying to build relationships with developing countries, not just in Africa, but also in places like Latin America, in uh, Southeast Asian countries, um, trying to build a, a stronger relationship where they can have a more global, uh, outward looking foreign policy. A lot of this comes back to, like Kay said, China's domestic market becoming so oversaturated with investment and mm-hmm. sort of become this huge consumption market, and so a lot of Chinese firms are looking for um, good investment opportunities outside of the country, sending their excess capacity steel to Africa, using their knowledge and skills in building infrastructure in developing countries uh, within Africa, just like this Ethiopian and Djibouti rail line that they're constructing.
0: Right. And and one of the things that that really surprised me, though, about this relationship between China and Africa is how receptive Africa seems to be to Chinese investment. You know, Mm -hmm. you had in David Dollar's paper a statistic that said Africans are 70 percent favorable to Chinese investment, whereas they're only 41 percent favorable to European investment. And, And that was really surprising. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how this trend plays out, see how, you know, if Chinese expansion into Africa increases, Will Chinese investment be as favorable to to the average African? I think if you look at the social changes that
1: that are brought about by Chinese investment in Africa, you know, they're bringing, by some estimates, up to a million Chinese workers into Africa. You're bringing a lot of money, but at the same time, all these people into Africa and that has impl- social implications. Not only that, but you also have the sort of environmental side of the issue. So when China lends for these infrastructure projects or it gives grants or it direct invests in African firms, they don't really have the same kind of social or environmental standards that a lot of Western lending institutions or firms would have. And so a lot of conservationists are also worried about environmental impacts of these huge infrastructure projects. So I think, there is, there may be tension on the horizon for, uh, between China and Africa if the investment continues.
2: So I'm an RA in the uh, Weedendorm at UVA. And I was talking to one of my residents who, she's originally from Nigeria. And she's actually went to school with Chinese migrant workers' kids. And so for me, you know, I thought, were there any like social backlash or anything? Was it like, was it how was the environment? And she said, he or she was my classmate. It was uh, normal. It was my everyday life. You know, from her point of view, specifically, it didn't sound like she was very unfavorable that, you know, Chinese migrant workers are coming and leaving, because at the end of the day, once the infrastructure is built, once the railroads are built, who's going to benefit from that? It's the people who are using it themselves. Mm -hmm. So if it's built on someone else's dollar, like, if we can reap the benefits, why not?
0: Yeah, right. In this case, a lot of the Ethiopian farmers and manufacturers are benefiting from this more accessible and quicker rail line all the way to the coast. Yeah. So I think that you know, just it sort of is a fascinating trend to me, and and I'm really interested to see how how it plays out over time. What are the social and and cultural uh, consequences of this, and how will this benefit China economically? Mm-hmm. I think
1: that some of it, some of the criticism that we see in the media comes from a kind of insecurity about. Rising Chinese power, Mm -hmm. and we've seen, even though we've seen that the numbers, uh, the reality is that the numbers uh, aren't staggering. You know, even though it sounds like there's a huge amount of investment and lending going on in the grand scheme of Africa as a whole continent, the total levels remain relatively small. It's not a huge invasion, but at the same time, it is increasing rapidly. And I think in the West, we have there's certainly this sense that China is trying to assert more power and trying to assert um, more dominance in developing areas than it has in the past. But at the end of the day, for for your average farmer in Ethiopia, for your average manufacturer in an African country, um, these infrastructure projects will be huge if they are completed. They will bring um, enormous economic benefits to have transportation costs lower, to have more efficiency in transport and in energy, and power, in all these different industries. It, it will be pretty big for your average worker there.
0: All right, and I think that'll do it for our show today. I hope you enjoyed listening to this case study of this rail line and how Chinese expansion to Africa in some ways matches the perceptions and in some ways doesn't. I want to thank Kay and Derek for coming on, and of course, David Dollar for the interview. And while you're at it, you can like us on Facebook and check out some of our older episodes on the new website. Make sure you tune into next week's episode as Nick and I take a look at the democratization of drones. And we'll see you next time.